Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks so much for being with us and for joining us for the very first time today. Special welcome to you. I'm Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City Matthews. And got some good news and I got some bad news today. Good news is, is we're still in our Ephesians sermon series. The bad news is, is we're getting close to the end. I know, I know, I know. We got about three weeks left in our sermon series in the book of Ephesians, and I pray that it's been a blessing to you thus far. And so as we wind down our series today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter number 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13. Before we do that, let's pray together. God, our Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this space of grace. We declare, Jesus, that you are the authority in this space. So have your way. Have your way. Arrest our attention. Remove all distractions. Glorify yourself in our midst. Thank you for the privilege to sit at your feet and to learn of you. Thank you for the opportunity to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to begin to set uh, our message today up with some thoughts from a book entitled This Kind of War. Some of you may be familiar with it. But in the book This Kind of War, the author evaluates why the U.S. military suffered devastating defeats in the first six months of the Korean War. Devastating defeats that resulted in thousands of deaths. And his conclusion as he evaluated this was that the U.S. military had poorly prepared for war. They didn't take seriously the threats of North Korea and China. The author further noted that when the U.S. military engaged in warfare, many of the soldiers were not prepared for the hardships they would encounter. Now, the Korean War was a physical war. And it was devastating. It was horrible. But as devastating, horrible, as intense as that was, just like many of the other wars that our country has been involved in, the church, you and I, are in a more intense war. Only our war, unlike the Korean War, is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war. And in Ephesians chapter number six, the apostle Paul tells us exactly what to do to prepare for this war. So with that, if you're able, I'm going to ask now that you would stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through, three, 10 through 13. It should also be preloaded for you on the New City app along with the sermon outline. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will will still be standing 
firm. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So Paul begins this passage today with a final word, a final word. And Paul uses a Greek word, which is similar to our English word, finally. He uses this word to signal the conclusion of his letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. Now, many of you may be aware of this, but Ephesus was a city that Paul longed to share Jesus with. In fact, he and his team had planted a church there. They discipled leaders and elders there. One of his protégés in the gospel, Timothy, would later pastor this church and marry the mother of Jesus, would attend this church in the latter part of her life. But Paul begins here with a final word. Now, what could Paul possibly, what could he write to say goodbye to this church that he loved so much? I think we would all agree that final words are powerful, right? Final words are powerful. They're powerful and they're important. And Paul wants his audience to know this. And so his final words here in Ephesians 6 are not random, nor are they a disconnected afterthought. Final words in the book of Ephesians 6 are a dramatic finale. They are the apex of everything he's written so far. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the subject of this finality, war, spiritual war. If you remember, Paul began the book of Ephesians around the idea of belief, right? What we believe. Then he talked about how we should live in light of our beliefs. In other words, what should our behavior be as a result of what we believe? And now he tells us why both our belief and our behavior are important. And it's because there's a war going on. There's a war going on. And Paul outlines God's battle plan for our spiritual resistance to the devil and his schemes. And we'll cover this battle plan over the next three weeks as we conclude our study. And in doing so, we'll talk about the following. The first, our supply line. Our supply line to God's unlimited resources. Next, we'll talk about the threat. The threat that we face from enemy forces. Next, our battle posture. What should our posture be as we stand firm and hold our ground against the enemy? Then we'll talk about the training, the training that we will need to wear this armor that God has designed and provided for us. And then lastly, we'll look at the strategy for victory, the strategy for victory. Now, let me say this uh, from the beginning here that, yes, as Christians, we are called to live at peace with God and with other people. And we should certainly condemn any misguided violence, but as Christians— we're also called to engage in the spiritual battle taking place all around us. Whether you know it or not, whether you're aware of it, there is a spiritual battle taking place even in this moment. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words about Jesus 700 years before he came to the earth. He wrote this in Isaiah chapter 11, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his, of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. And so in Ephesians 6, Paul is drawing from this imagery of Isaiah, who depicts the Messiah as a divine warrior clothed with armor as he prepares for battle to defend and vindicate his people. But now listen to this. 
When a king came into the city in peace, he came riding in on a donkey. But when a king came into a city in victory, he came riding on a white horse. And we read this about Jesus in the scriptures, don't we? Jesus rides into Jerusalem to his cross on a donkey. But Jesus returns to establish a new Jerusalem on a white horse. Listen to these words from the Apostle John in Revelation 19. It says, then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. I love that passage. And so with that, as we begin to dive in our text today, I want you to know that our bottom line is this. We are fighting a battle, but the war is won. We're fighting a battle, but the war is won. Now let's look at what uh, the Apostle Paul has for us here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, as he teaches us how to prepare for this battle. In verse 10, the first thing he says to us is be strong in the Lord. He says, be strong in the Lord and in, and in his mighty power. The imperative, be strong, is in the passive voice here. And it could be translated as saying, be strengthened or be made strong. In other words, Paul is saying two things at once here. He's saying, be strong, but he's also saying, you can't be strong. Not on your own, right? Be strong, but you can't be strong on your own. In other words, the first move of standing strong for God is coming low. It's humility. And know this, our physical strength is of absolutely no value in a spiritual war. In fact, it's a liability. It's a liability. If we are going to stand for God, we must first kneel before God. Because the truth is, we are of no match to the enemy in our own strength. King David, a mighty warrior for God, said this in Psalm 20, verses 7 through 9. He said this, some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. Give victory to our king, O Lord. Answer our cry for help. Our, our power for spiritual battle is external. I need you to know this. In other words, it comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from the Lord. You may remember we mentioned a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 3 what Paul says in verses 14 through 16. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. Verse 16, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will, here it is, empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So Paul doubles down here on his imperative to be strong in the Lord by adding and in his mighty power, which further explains the source of our empowerment. 
So I need you to know that no situation that you're facing today is beyond God's power. It's beyond yours. It's beyond mine. But it is not beyond God's power. Nothing you are facing today, regardless of how frustrating, how painful, how long it's been going on, how weary you might be, nothing is beyond God's control. If you remember, it was an angel that told Mary, he said, nothing will be impossible for God. And if it was true then, it's true now. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And guess what? That same power can change your situation. It can change your situation or it can change your perspective or it can do both. The same power is alive in us. Remember in Joshua chapter 1, God commanded Joshua three times. said, be strong and courageous. Three times. And that's our word today. Be strong in the Lord. So the next thing he says here in verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. Now, Paul now is going to explain how it is that you and I as Christ followers are to be spiritually equipped to withstand the assault of our enemy. And how we do that is by putting on all of God's armor. Now, this is the first time that this is not the first time that Paul uses this verb here related to putting on. He also talked about it in other places in Scripture when he said in Ephesians 4, put on the new self. He said in Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in Colossians 3, put on the attributes of God. He used this verb in other places in Scripture as well. But here in Ephesians 6, this is the most detailed description of spiritual apparel. This is the most detailed description. But notice he says, put on all of God's armor. Put on all of it. In other words, it is not for you and I to be selective as to what we want to don and when. Because sometimes we'll be called into situations that are very uncomfortable and very unfamiliar. And having on all of God's armor is important for you and I. It's called the armor of God because it is the armor that God supplies. It's the armor that God supplies. But why does God give us this armor? Verse 11b answers that question. It says, so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We'll be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. But notice the word strategy there. I don't want you to read that too fast. Notice that word strategy. In other words, we have an enemy that is planning to steal, kill, and destroy. He's planning to do this. So the damage he does in our families, and our churches, is not by happenstance. It was a strategy. It was a plan. I need you to hear that. He is planning to break up your marriage. He is planning to disrupt your homes. He's planning to disrupt our church. He's planning to do this. This is why it is important for you and I to put on all of God's armor. Scripture says we have an enemy that that is seeking about like a roaring lion. And guess who he's looking for? He's not looking for the strongest one in the bunch. He's looking for the person that doesn't have all, on all of their armor. That's who he's looking for. He's looking for the easiest target. That's what he's looking for. But I want you to notice something else here, that we are not charged with winning the victory. We're not charged with that. It's already been won. 
Rather, you and I are called to stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. That's what we're called to, to stand firm. Now, this word stand means more than just holding ground. It means more than just holding or standing your ground. The, the term can also imply a forceful offensive against an opponent. And Paul uses this term, he repeats this term several times in the passage, but I need you to know what it means is that you and I are not to be half-hearted in the fight. We are not to be half-hearted. Nor does it mean that we should be uncertain regarding the outcome. Because when he said it is finished, guess what that meant? It meant it is finished. Everything that you're struggling with, everything that you're frustrated by, it's already finished. What we have to do? Stand firm. Stand firm. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord. He says, put on all of God's armor. But then he says, our battle is not with flesh and blood. I need you to lean into me on this one. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. This word fighting that Paul is using here, it only occurs here in the text. It only occurs here. And it typically is used for the sport of wrestling. But Paul may have used this term here to talk about the closeness of the fight. In other words, this is not a battle that is fought by proxy. What do I mean? I mean this battle is up close and personal. It's up close and personal. And this term, flesh and blood, that he uses here is an idiom to describe mankind. In other words, when he says we're not fighting against flesh and blood, you know what that means? It means the person that cut you off in a Walmart parking lot, they're not your enemy. It means, for me, that the person that I let over in traffic and when they don't wave at me and I want to follow them, it means that they're not my enemy. It means, family, that your spouse is not your enemy. It means that your children, they're not your enemy. The person on your job that you can't stand, they're not your enemy. So Paul here is attempting to reorient us to where the real battle should be fought and who our real enemy is. Somebody need to go home and apologize to somebody today. <laughs> so flesh and blood is not our enemy, but he tells us who our enemy is. He mentions four groups that our battle is against. He mentions, number one, evil rulers. Then he mentions authorities in the unseen world. Then he mentions mighty powers. And then number four, evil spirits in the unseen world. Don't miss that word, that phrase, unseen world. That's where the battle is. Maybe the reason many of us are exhausted is because we've been trying to fight the battle physically rather than spiritually. Maybe that's the reason you're tired. Maybe that's the reason you're frustrated. We've been trying to control things and fight things in, out of our own physical strength instead of fighting in the spirit. Because in the spirit, we just read it. That's where our help is, and that's where our strength is, in the spirit. That's where our help is. This is why we don't realize the help that we have, because we're trying to fight in the physical. This reminds me of 2 Kings chapter 6. You might be familiar with this story when Elisha was surrounded by the enemy. He was surrounded by the enemy. Scripture says there were horses and chariots all around him. He sends the servant, sends the servant out in the morning 
to see what's going on. And the servant comes back and says, oh, sir, what will we do now? We're surrounded. What do we do now? Remember what Elisha told him? He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for there are more with us than are against us. Then the scripture says that Elisha prayed. He prayed. He prayed to the Lord. He said, Lord, open the young man's eyes so that he might see. So the Lord opened the young man's eyes. And when he looked up, he saw, in fact, that there were more with them than were against him. But how do we see this way? How, how, do, we, how do we see like the servant, like Elisha? Sir, how do we see this way? First, through prayer, but secondly, through our posture of humility. Through a posture of humility. I love in Matthew 18, as the disciples came to Jesus, they asked him, who should be the greatest? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? You know this? Jesus said, he called a little child unto him. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and be like this little child, be like these little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe the reason we have a difficulty seeing our help and our strength spiritually is because we, can't, we haven't come low enough yet. We haven't humbled ourselves to the point where we could see what God is trying to show us. You ever notice that children are sometimes more sensitive to spiritual things than adults? That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what he's talking about. He's referring to the posture that we ought to have so that we can be more aware of all of the resources that he has around us. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord. He says, put on the full armor of God. Then he says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. But then in verse 13, he says, therefore. He begins the verse with the word, therefore. And I love this word because in using the word, therefore, what he's saying is, because verse 12 is true. Because verse 12 is true. In other words, because it is true that we have a spiritual enemy. We have a mighty spiritual enemy. Because that's true. Because it's true that our enemy is not the person we're sitting beside. Our enemy is a spiritual force. Because that is true, we must put on every piece of God's armor so that we will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. We talked about that phrase before, right? In the time of evil. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul said, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So part of how we make the most of every opportunity in these evil days, put on all of God's armor. So when is the evil days? When is the time of evil? The best way to understand it is the time of evil is the age between the two comings of Jesus. It's the time between the manger and when he comes again. In other words, it's right now. Here's my point. This is a critical time right now. These evil days that we live in, this is a critical time in the life of the church. And if it's a critical time in the life of the church, it's a critical time in the life of believers. It's a critical time. I said this before, I'll say it again. 
We are living in a time where we can ill afford to be short on God's voice and what it is that we are supposed to be doing for the kingdom of God. Recently, God had to reorient me back to his story for my life. There's some desires and passions and things that I wanted to do in my flesh. Ways I wanted to use my gifting. God had to reorient me back. Why? Because we're in evil days. We're supposed to be doing what we're called to do, not what we want to do. In these evil days, we can expect demonic attacks to be at their worst. We can expect him to come for our families. We can expect him to come for our children. We can expect him to come against our mental health. We're in evil days. And the enemy knows that this is his last stand against the children of God. It's his last stand. And so this is why, family, that Paul reminds us. This is why he takes the time to remind us. Notice this is coming on the heels of him saying, be filled with the Spirit. This is why Paul reminds us that when we are strong in the Lord, when we put on all of God's armor, when we realize we're in a spiritual battle, when we realize who the real enemy is, when we realize this, when we realize that when we resist the enemy in the evil time, then, then, we will be standing firm after the battle. Or to say it another way, when we do all of these things, we do all of these things, that's when we'll realize that though we're in a battle, the war is already won. So all of your struggles, all of your cares, and all of your concerns have been taken care of at the cross. So now, by the power of Christ, you and I can stand firm against every fiery dart, every attack. We know they're coming. Some of us are in the middle of it right now. So my encouragement to you, that God has given us everything we need that pertains unto life and godliness. He's given us everything we need to stand firm in the battle. And a good way for us to do that is to do it together. Next week, we'll talk more specifically about this armor that God has supplied for us. Amen? To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much. That not only did you call us to partner with you by standing firm in the battle, but you gave us everything we need to do it. And so we ask God now that you would forgive us for fighting against the wrong enemy. Forgive us for fighting in the physical rather than the spiritual. But we're grateful today that no weapon formed against us will prosper. We're grateful that in you, we have everything we need to be strong in you. So Father, I pray now for my friends and my family in this room today. 
I pray for the parents that are frustrated, that need wisdom and direction on what to do with their children. I pray that you would give them spiritual wisdom and insight. They would not only stand firm in you, but they would rest in the finished work of Christ. Pray for the husband and wife that are at odds with each other today. Spouses, those significant others that can't seem to find a place of peace. I pray help them to realize who the real enemy is. That you would help them to fight spiritually together. Pray for the minds of our youth. Demonic attacks that are waging war against them right now. We come against these attacks as a community of believers in agreement and by faith. And these children belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We take back what belongs to us. We thank you for your mighty power that we have access to. Help us to humble ourselves, God. Open our eyes like you did, Elisha's servant, that we might see that there is, in fact, more with us than against us. Encourage our hearts today, God, for you are for us and you are with us. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.